of the reading of God's Word today. Surely coming out of camp, I thought God would let me preach after hearing the first sermon. Where you're at, what you're saying, and what you're seeing. That was the first outline that come to me through the preaching at youth camp. And then surely, Brother Harold, I thought I would preach out of the four electives that they'd go to after morning worship because God had already alliterated it for this alliterating preacher and that that if you went to Taylor's class, it would be that of faith. If you went to Marissa's class, it would be that of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you went to Trenton's class, it would be following Jesus, taking up your cross, denying yourself. But if you went to Don's class, it's just another F, and that's simply we are called to be fishers of men. Then as the week went along, I thought of different things that I could preach. The guilt, the guarantee, the gift, and the goal. I'm just saying this, when a preacher comes out of a camp where there's numerous services in a day, the outlines and the scriptures, definitely your cup runs over. But behind that camp come a hard day. God directed me to Luke chapter 13. For the last four weeks, they've been what I would call uplifting and motivational sermons. Man, if you was here last week, we was on cloud nine. That was a fun message to preach, and I'm sure it was a fun message to listen to. And I'll just tell you, sometimes preaching's easy, and sometimes preaching's hard. Do you understand that? And sometimes you have those motivational sermons and you get out there in the world and the enemy seems to rob you of what that motivation was about, joy and victory being no accident. And you have to rally the team back in the locker room and you say, boy, more than a motivational speech today, we just need to have a little awareness speech. Listen, we still should have the joy. Victory is still no accident. You got me? I want you to hear that loud and clear. Victory is no accident. Our best friend still Jesus. Our biggest enemy still Satan. And we still, if we're going to experience that victory, have to be a battling saint. And there is still power in joy. But we just need to be aware that there's some out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy that joy. So we just come back in after a few weeks of of great motivational type sermons, fun sermons, and we come back to say, okay, we just need an awareness sermon. So I get guided and directed. Now I'll tell you how long, how hard-headed I am and how, how slow I am. When I left the little cabin this morning, I was still asking my wife to look up verses from the sermons preached at youth camp. When I pulled out of my driveway, I was still looking and combing through the scriptures preached at youth camp. Luke chapter 13, sit and soak, there was a, there were present at that season. Sometimes the season's good, sometimes the season's bad.
There were present at that season some who told him, that's Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Now, he asked a question, but it looks to me, Calvin, he's real quick to answer it himself, lest they get it wrong. Do you suppose these Galileans, because they suffered such things, are worse sinners than other Galileans? And real quickly, lest they get it wrong, Miss Susie, he said, I tell you, no. And then he comes right back with another question. He says, how about the 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Looks like he answers it real fast. I tell you, no. And then he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, after he says these things, here comes the parable. He says... He also spoke a parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Are you just using up ground? You just occupying a seat today? I promise you this one won't be near as fun as the last three. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it, fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if it does not, after that, you can cut her down. This is an awareness sermon. And first of all, we need to be aware of incidents are a reality. I didn't say accidents. That's a total different word than incidents. Incident is an event or an occurrence. And before us, we have some incidents. And incidents are a reality. Number one, get this. We better be aware that disasters are a reality. Look at verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Let me in other words that for you lay people. They was at worship service. They was bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. And Pilate comes in and kills them. You thought a shooting in the North Carolina church or the Texas church, this was some new thing. You better listen to Solomon. He was the wisest man in the world when he says there's nothing new under the sun. There has been people that have been worshiping God since Bible times and got killed doing it. This is a disaster. I think we could agree that this is an act of terrorism. And we say, an act of terrorism, that's exactly what it is. 
And when we say acts of terrorism, sometimes in this spoiled, rotten nation called America, we think that don't happen here. Let me ask you, what was New York? That was an act of terrorism. That's in New York. That's like another country. What was Oklahoma City bombing? What is the school, church, and mall shootings right here on this planet, on this nation? They are acts of terrorism. And Jesus wants us to know these disasters are reality. But then he don't leave a stone unturned. He said, they didn't bring it up. He said, well, tell me. Tell me about the 18 on whom the tower fell, the tower of Siloam fell on and killed them. See, you see, this is an act of terrorism and that is a disaster. But he says, there's disasters that are not an act of terrorism. They're just an occurrence. Something went wrong. These guys just went over there and guess what? The tower had a weak spot. The tower was wore out. I don't know. All I do know is it fell and killed them. Pilate didn't have it bombed. He didn't push it down. It just fell on them and killed them. And some disasters are not an act of terrorism. Some disasters just happen. I don't think when that bridge on I-40 down by Weber's Falls, I don't believe you'll never make me believe that was an act of terrorism. I believe a, 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 a barge driver lost control of a barge. It hit a bridge. And let me tell you, it was disastrous that day for people. So we live in a world that has fallen. And disasters are a reality. Some are acts of terrorism. And some just happen. The planes went down that day with terrorists on them. But let me ask you a question. Is there planes that go down occasionally with no terrorists? Just an engine problem? Just a storm? Yes. Is there terrorists who drive vehicles into other vehicles with bombs? Yes. But there's also vehicles who run into vehicles not on purpose. Disasters happen. So watch this. They're reality. These incidents happen. But in this, disasters are reality. From these disasters, tells us, Brother Bob, death is a reality. Because in these terrorist attacks, guess what? There was people down there worshiping that died. Do you get that here today? Please, look up here and listen to me. They got up that day just like you got up today. They put their worship clothes on. They brought the sacrifice of praise to the house of God. They walked in and they was worshiping. They was giving their sacrifices. And Pilate showed up and mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices they brought to their one and true living God. Are you with me? Think about that day in New York City. Some people just got up and went to work. Terrorists showed up. Just think with me about Oklahoma City. They just went, got up and went to work. How about Uvalde? They just went up. They just got up. Some went to class. Some went to teach. These are disasters. They are reality. And the reality is some die in them. 
And, and, and then, if it's not a school shooting or it's not an act of terrorism, listen to me. People get up and go do what they do every day. Build a building. Drive a truck. Teach a class. And they die doing what they do. And sometimes we think we're nine feet tall, cast iron and bulletproof. It's August, or it's, it's July, last week of July, right before August, what happens? Cheyenne, Wyoming, the granddaddy of them all. And it's at such a time of year, somebody once said, I believe it's Clark Victory, sell your cattle before the short round at Cheyenne. What happened in 1989 at Cheyenne? There was a guy that could possibly have been the greatest bull rider ever. You know what he done? He kicked the sides out of bucking bulls. And he showed up that day, and guess what he done in the short round at Cheyenne? He kicked the side out of a bucking bull. Don't ever think that the day that Lane Frost died, he didn't win money and he didn't kick the side out of a bucking bull. After he done that, he died. So you're not into rodeo. How about Dale Earnhardt? Pretty sure I'm not an NASCAR guy, but he drove race cars and maybe one of the best that ever drove them. And he was doing what he was very good at. And what news come flooding across the television stations that day? Dale Earnhardt has died. It wasn't an act of terrorism. It was just a disaster that brought death. So, so... Jesus says disasters are a reality. He says death is a reality. And what was happening in Bible days, and I'm convinced it still happens today, when there is disaster and death, we get this preconceived idea there must have been sin in their life or they was a worse sinner than the other one. Jesus, He asked the question, but before they could answer it, He said that's not the case. That is not the case. A sinner is a sinner. And Jesus meant what He said right here. Are those Galileans worse sinners than other Galileans? I tell you, no. On the 18 whom whom the tower fell, was they worse sinners than the rest of the people who are in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Jesus is the one that said all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And don't be comparing your sin to somebody else's sin because you're just a bunch of sinners. This week I was told of the story, and I can't remember his name, but they was ministering. He was ministering with Chris McDaniel. They went to the gym one day, and he got done working out before Chris, so he went to the basketball courts. Can you imagine in a town where the kids and the youngsters... And that little town's playing basketball, and in walks a guy. I mean, that's how it is when you walk on a basketball court. Who's he? We know who the best is here. Who's this guy? But this guy that day, real story, true story, he's with Chris. He's waiting on Chris. He just goes to the gym. He just picks up a basketball. He just stands behind the free throw line. And I'm sure some of the, he swooshes the first one. And I'm sure the talking over here amongst those young people in that gym said, man, he, he nailed that first one. <laughs> that ain't unusual. He gets his own rebound. He steps back. Whoosh. And he said, man, he got two in a row. That ain't no big deal. But they kept watching. Ten. Eleven. 
12, 13, 14, 15. Can you imagine by then them kids coming toward that? He said all of a sudden 50, 51, and they was rebounding the ball and just throwing it to him. He was just standing there. 68, 69, 70. They just kept rebounding. Can you imagine their mouths? 81, 82, 83. Can you imagine when they throw it? Oh, my gosh, looking at each other. 90, 91. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh, have you, are you believing this? 92, 93, 94. Somebody says, he's not going to miss. He's going to get to triple digits. They throw him the ball. He misses 95. Huh. He missed one. He's human. They throw him the ball. He misses number 96. Huh. They throw him the ball. He misses number 97. He misses number 98. He misses number 99. And he misses number 100. You say, what's the point of that story? This was a minister. And he put that ball under his hand. He turned to that crowd of listeners. And he says, see that? That's just what the Bible's talking about when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You guys are oohing and on because I made 94 in a row. But I'm telling you, I missed. And sometimes we get to thinking, oh, if I just missed six... I'm better than that guy that only made six. That may be true in basketball. But you better write this down big, plain, and straight. That is not true in life. And that not that is not true in sin. Because if you make and commit one sin, let me tell you what Jesus just said. Ain't nobody no worse than the next one. You've all sinned. That's what he just said. Don't ever think because of disasters and death somebody's holier than somebody else because when I said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. And all God's people said. So the first point out here in this awareness sermon is incidents, they're a reality. So if these incidents are reality, disasters and death comes... Watch what he does next. He gives them some instructions. What's the instructions? Repent. The instructions are to repent. Because there is disasters, because there is death, and that's simply because there's a fallen world, unless you repent, it says it right in our text twice, unless you repent, you're no better than them. You shall likewise perish. Folks, when we are aware that disasters are a reality, and in disasters we could die, we better follow the instructions. And the instructions are to repent. And we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus. That is not just Jesus' message. It was before Jesus in that of John the Baptist. He said, unless you repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance, you're going to perish. So you know what the message was before Jesus? Repentance. You know what Jesus' message was? Repentance. Now Jesus is gone and here comes Paul. He said, I've kept nothing back from you that was helpful. I proclaimed it to you and I taught it to you. Not only publicly, but I said on your porch, folks, I taught it from house to house and I testified. How's that for a youth camp title? 
I testified to the Jew and also the Greek. What you testify? Come on, Paul. We know what John the Baptist's message was. We know what Jesus' message was. But surely it's changed, Paul. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The message has not changed. And so we're at testify this week. And we're doing testimonies. And I remember the story told about the soldier that was asked to give his testimony. And kind of reminded me of Kevin, a soldier, a Marine. And so this, I could just picture at our camp, this soldier standing up behind the pulpit. And he said, my testimony is simple. I was a Proverbs 14 guy. There's a way that seemed right to me. And I was marching the way that sent right to me. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is. And one day I heard the voice of God say, Halt! And Master Sergeant Jesus said, Turn about face. I turned about face. And Master Sergeant Jesus said, Forward, march. My testimony was I was marching down life's pathway the wrong way. And Master Sergeant Jesus told me, Halt, turn about face, forward, march. Now I want you to look up here. That's repentance. And let me just put this out there today. The preacher comes in and preaches on repentance. You want me to tell you what we do as Christians? Me included. We think as repentance as a negative word. Don't we? Come on. Be honest. He preached on repentance today. I mean, John the Baptist said, repent unless you perish. I mean, it always, it, it almost just has a negative ring to it. But think about, slow down, and think of what he just said. Repent unless you perish. Is that negative? Repent unless you die. That's the most positive word in the Bible, folks. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. So he's got to turn around. If he keeps going that way, he's going to die. Repent, repent. That's negative. He's marching toward death and we tell him to turn and march toward life and that's negative? Folks, that's how sly the enemy is. We come in here and preach repentance because we see mankind marching toward death and we're crying out like John the Baptist, repent, repent, repent. And it's not negative because if you don't repent, you're going to perish. You're going the way you think you ought to go and we know it leads to death. Repent, repent, repent. It ought to be one of the most positive words in Scripture. And somehow the devil's twisted that from us. So, incidents are a reality. The instructions are to repent, and they're not negative. Repent unless you likewise perish. That's positive, folks. But then I must move on. It's an awareness sermon. Are you aware that incidents are a reality? Disasters happen and death happens. Are you aware that the instructions... From God's instruction books is repentance. But here's, here's what happens. Now, in this awareness sermon, there's an illustration to reveal. He goes right behind that and he said, I'm going to give you a parable. You know what a parable is? It's an illustration. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Why does he speak in parables? Get this. To reveal it to some 
So he's fixing to reveal with this illustration. But don't ever forget that parables are sometimes used to conceal it from others. So some of them, he says, man, it's like casting my pearls before swine. So I'm going to speak it in a parable lest they just chew it up. Anybody ever witness to somebody that's just going to chew up anything you throw out for them? Sometimes you just got to walk away. That's Bible. Why is he speaking parables? I'm going to reveal it to my children and those that are out there to persecute. I'm going to conceal it from them. That's what he does. Got that? So here he goes with this illustration. Number one, it reveals to us, don't miss this, God planted us. Boy, I was hoping for an amen there. I guess, I guess I've listened to Kevin so much long. I, he said that was good preaching. You Somebody ought to be amening it there. I didn't say it was good preaching. I just It reveals that God planted us. Now watch this, verse 6. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. It wasn't there by accident. And here's what's real interesting to this about this to me. I hope you're listening. Commentators cannot agree about this vineyard. More of them than not think it was a grape vineyard. A fig tree and a grape vineyard. And the other commentators say, well, it just wouldn't make no sense for God to plant a fig tree and a grape vineyard. And that's when I landed on my deal. God never does make sense to me. So I'm more convinced that it was a fig tree planted in a grape vineyard. Because that's just what God does. I'm not at all saying to you it could not be a fig tree in a fig vineyard. But I am saying to you it's more like the character of God to say, plant me a fig tree in the middle of that grape vineyard. You say, it's more like the character of God. Well, it just don't make no sense to me. And I'm just going to ask you how, I'm going to name some people in the Bible, and you tell me what they might have felt like. You ready? Esther was in a king's palace. She was a Jew, and the king was anti-Jew. Are you with me? And he was going to kill all the Jews. And I'm pretty sure if we could run on to Esther, say, Esther, what did it feel like being in the king's palace? You for the Jews, you for Jesus, you for the law, and he got it. You wonder if she might say something I felt like a fig tree in a grape vineyard. Huh? Come on. Hey, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come over here. What in the world? Was it like to be in Babylon and all these worldly things that you'd been taught to not partake of happening? What did it feel like? You reckon they might say, I'll tell you what it felt like. We felt like a fig tree right in the middle of a grape vineyard for heaven's sakes. Come on, folks. Then he goes and we find what we heard on the first sermon of youth camp. We find a little slave girl. She was taken captive by Naaman, a man of valor. She was a slave to his wife. And we'd have to go to her and said, My gosh, you was taken slave by this mighty man of valor, and you're in this godless home. Come on. 
How did that feel? We might be surprised about her saying something like, I felt like a fig tree in a grape vineyard. Huh? Paul, you're a Hebrew of all the Hebrews. What did it feel like when he said, Hey, Paul, get over there to the Gentiles. Oh, Paul might said, I felt like a fig tree in a grape vineyard. Can I ask you something, Christian? We're sojourners here. We're foreigners here. We ought to all feel like a fig tree in a grape vineyard. And man, sometimes I just question God, do you? Why in the world did you choose me to live in this generation of so much technology and so much new lingo? When they ask me where they like me, I tell them anywhere, where they can follow me, anywhere but the bathroom. And I didn't know they was talking about social media. Sometimes I just think to myself, such an evil generation in 2022, so much technology, I just want to look at God and say, you probably got me mixed up with my grandpa. When I heard his stories, that better fit me. That better fit me to live in that generation. And I'll tell you what God tells me. I don't make mistakes. I planted you in this generation. I planted you in this time to speak to this people. I'm the one that planted you. So move on from where you're at and what generation you live in. Hear me out this morning. This illustration is to reveal to you and I, we are planted in this place at this time. And let me go ahead and say what this illustration reveals secondly. Purpose. We're planted in this generation for a purpose. Look what it says in verse 6. A man planted a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. What was your purpose for being planted here? To bear fruit. And and John 15 says, Abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Before you repent, you are fruitless. You with me? But then it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears fruit. No, there's another word in there. Bears much fruit. You were planted to bear much fruit. Look up here and listen. The purpose for me having cows is not the purpose for some people having cows, calling them pets, naming them, and petting on them, and grooming on them. My purpose for cows is for them to have calves to reproduce their own kind that I can better my genetics and I can sell them. That's the purpose of me having cows. The purpose for Jesus saving you is for you to produce more Christians. That's the purpose. And we get, live in this day and time where if, if we inspect somebody's fruit or challenge them to bear fruit, you're judging me. At the camp, Kevin stood up right in front of our youth and he held up a apple. A-P-P-L-E, apple. Do you think you'd recognize an apple? But see, you people get scared of preachers. He held up the apple in front of this youth group and he says, what am I holding in my hand? And they locked up like a prison door. This is loaded. And somebody said, fruit. But there wasn't about nobody. 
And I was just amazed by that. And maybe us preachers do stuff like that on purpose. But I remember him stepping over to Trenton on the other side. And he said, Trenton, what is this? And Trenton says, an apple. And what an illustration. He said, oh, you're a preacher's kid. Quit judging this. Huh? Huh? If it's an apple, I'll tell you what we're going to call it. An apple. And the Bible over and over tells us we will know a tree by its Folks, when somebody calls you something less than a Christian, it may be that they're not judging. It may be just they're seeing what's in your life. Your purpose is to bear fruit. So he reveals in this illustration, God planted us. God has a purpose for us. But watch this. God's patient with us. Look at it. He said to the keeper of the vineyard, look. Three years, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Choosing up ground. Hmm? You're fixing to think I'm crazy right here. I'm talking about the patience of God. Are you listening? This week's youth camp was called Testify. Got it? Eli Livermont and Jesse Stipes opened up our first morning with testimonies. Eli testified of getting a hold of alcohol at the age of 12. He talked about it becoming an addiction and he couldn't get loose from it. He talked about wondering what it cost him as a high school athlete, the starting quarterback, the starting point guard. And, and, and he said, and then after high school, it just continued to cost me things I love, family and friends. Are you with me? And he looked at our kids and he said, one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything is because I was the star quarterback, because I was the star on the basketball team, how many of them young kids looked up to me and when they looked at me, what did I have in my hand? Not a Bible. And I was drinking it. And he said, every time I go back home, I see some of them kids that's now grown up and graduated and I see the same thing in their hand. And I think and I have to wonder, did I cause that? And he did talk about God saving his soul. And, and when he did, he walked off the stage. And you know what people said? That's an awesome testimony. You know what I thought? No, that's an awful testimony. So what happens the next day? I mean, I just kind of, they want to think it's awesome. So what happens the next day? Andy Bryant gets up there. He's the bass player. And he gives his testimony of drugs and alcohol and then he says he puts a gun to his head, going to kill himself, and it misfires. And he's been on drugs. He's been on alcohol. I mean, he literally sold Chris McDaniels the drugs. And somebody said when he sat down, that's an awesome testimony, and I just wanted to kick a chair out of there. And then right behind him, Chris McDaniel gets up there, $70,000 a month, cocaine habit. I was raised in church. I knew better. Did you hear in his testimony, kids? My mama and my daddy and my grandparents warned me. 
And he went right past the warning. He hurt women after women after women. He hurt other people that thought party was on. And, and when he gets all done, he, he woke up with his own blood, having him stuck to the carpet. And, and he said, I called my mom and I called my grandma and come. And he talks about going to that church and that little old lady coming up there. And, and he got saved that day. Look up here. And you know what the people were saying when he got off? That's an awesome testimony. Can you imagine how aggravated I was by the time Miss Shannon Cunningham and Miss Felicia got up there and kind of give the same testimony? Shannon shared hers here. Sexual immorality. Homosexual immorality. Come on. Felicia talked about raising church and going down the wrong road. And you know what I heard? Man, what an awesome testimony. You're saying, I'm not getting it, Rob. That's not an awesome testimony. That's an awesome God. I'm talking about He comes seeking fruit three years. And that tree don't have an awesome testimony. That tree's got an awful testimony. And if you're not bearing fruits and it's been three years, four years, five years, ten years, and you're not bearing fruit, good grapes, but bad grapes, let me tell you, God can deliver you, but you don't have an awesome testimony. You, my dear friends, have got an awesome God who was patient and waited out there in your addiction and to led you by a nail-scarred hand out of that addiction. That is not an awesome testimony that is an awesome and that is a patient God do you want that testimony or you want him to keep you from that stuff you hearing me this morning in this illustration it reveals God planted us for a purpose and he's patient with us and how many of you say and I'm glad he is it's not because we're awesome It's because we have an awesome God. But then watch this. This illustration reveal He provides for us. But He answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, fertilize it, and it bears fruit. Old vineyard keeper says, Hang on. Hang on. Maybe the ground's a little tight. Let's dig around a little bit. Let's loosen up the ground. Come on. The guy in the vineyard says, you know, maybe this kind of, maybe this part of the vineyard, maybe the pH isn't just right. Maybe we don't have no fertility in this soil. When you fluff it up, go ahead and put some fertilizer on it. You with me? I want you to look up here and listen. If you are not bearing fruit, Or if you're bearing bad fruit, it's not God's fault. He provides, the Bible tells us, everything we need for a life of godliness. My cows, they're to produce. And sometimes when they don't produce, guess who's at fault? The rancher. He does not provide for them the mineral and the nutrients that they need to reproduce. So sometimes when a cow don't reproduce, guess what? Not her fault but the rancher. Never will that be the case in the kingdom of God. 
Because He always provides for us a brother or a sister to step in front of us if we're going down the road, wrong road. He provides for us the Holy Scriptures that are inspired by God for instructions. And He, after ascended upon high, descended by way of Holy Spirit and takes up residence in our heart. And He provides everything that we need, my dear friends, to produce fruit. And I wish I didn't have to preach this last point. Because this illustration, it only reveal to me, dear friends, that God plants, God's purpose, come on, God's patience. And it don't just reveal God's provision. Let me read to you on that provision. Let me just back up Isaiah 5 for you. Ready? Talking about the nation Israel. Are you ready? What more could I have what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? What more could have been done in the nation of Israel that I have not done in it? This is God speaking. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? I provided everything necessary for good fruit. Then why in the world did it bring forth bad fruit? Okay? Now we go to the last point. This illustration reveals to us God will punish us. If it bears fruit well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Some of you folks think God doesn't have to say it. God has to say it many more times for it to be real. And in case that's you here today, that's Luke 13, 9. If it does not bear fruit after that, cut it down. How about Matthew seven nineteen? Every tree that does not bear good fruit, cut it down, throw it into the fire. How about John the Baptist? Repent, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't you tell me you're descendants of Abraham. In other words, God don't have grandchildren. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. You know, unbeknownst to us, there's an axe in his hand. That ought to be pretty alarming for our nation. But let me just take that a step closer if you've got sin in your life and you're not bearing fruit. There's an axe ready for you. And I read Isaiah 5, 4, didn't I? You need more than one place for this? That's four. Here's number five. And now please tell me you what I will do. And please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. This is right after that, that vineyard that's producing bad grapes. I will take away its hedge. And it shall be burned down. Folks, if you think he needs to say it more than once, that's one of the things he says over and over and over and over again. And let me tell you something. Some of the hardest days of our lives as parents, as preachers, as brothers, sisters in Christ, is when we warn and we warn and we warn and we warn of sin and fruitlessness in a Christian's life is to have to step back and watch God punish their sin.
Are you with me? I mean, ain't even close to what I thought I'd preach. Do you know how hard it is when you're walking out of the door at 7.15 thinking you're going to preach something like that and you've got to cook something fresh between 17553645 Road and that church building? God must have wanted it real fresh this morning. You know how hard it is to put all that together that quick? How hard, if you're a literating preacher, how hard it is to go to literating? Huh? He wanted it hot, didn't he? Incidents are reality. I are. Instructions is repentance. I are. The illustration is revealing. I are. So, preacher, what do I do with this awareness sermon? I got one more IR for you. Ready? In that sermon is an incentive to resolve. And when I use the word resolve, you're thinking resolution, and you're saying, preacher, it was youth camp. It wasn't. It wasn't January first. Isn't it something? How when God reveals something wrong in our life, it may be July. We say, boy, when next year comes, that'll be my New Year's resolution. Wait, it's July. We're a ways out. Folks, I give you incentive from God's Word to resolve now. Don't wait till January. Do you know the definition of resolve? How about the verb, decide firmly on a course of action? Some of you have got something in your life and you need to decide, not half-heartedly, firmly today, on a course of action to get that fixed. That's resolve. That's a verb. And then Google give me an example. Bob, and I don't think it was Randall's. Bob resolved not to wait any longer. When there's something wrong in our life, why would we wait till January 1st to make a resolution? Bob, the example on Google said, he resolved not to wait any longer. Folks, when, when you hear the scriptures I preach today, I think you'd be a fool to wait any longer. And then it give me a noun. Firm determination to do something. It don't matter how much determination I have for you in here to do anything. Until you have a firm determination, it ain't going to happen. That breaks my heart. I wish my determination I could give to you folks. I wish I could give you to give you my desires. And there's sometimes when I see your strengths, I wish you could give me your determination and you could give me your desires. Wouldn't it be nice when we could exchange desire and determination and our weaknesses and our strength? Wouldn't that be so good? But we can't. It didn't make that possible. So would you today resolve? Because God's Word, not me, give you an incentive to do so. Decide firmly to take action. Resolve to do it now. And make a firm determination to do something. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Those scriptures should make us very aware of the reality of disaster and death. the instructions to repent and give us an incentive to do it.
Father, I pray that you'll speak to hearts across this room. And Father, I pray we will resolve because of the incentives we've been given from your word today to decide firmly to take course or action. We'd resolve to do it now and we'd firmly determine to change. Father, have your way in the hearts of your people. And Father, I pray if there's one within the sound of my voice that's never given their heart and life to you, that they do that today. Altars are open.